Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Hello and welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast recorded from the annual meeting in Austin, Texas. This is Lawrence Coletti and I'm the host for today's show, which is being sponsored by LawPay. Trusted by more than 35,000 law firms to accept legal payments online, it's the only payment solution offered as a member benefit by the State Bar of Texas. Joining me now, it's my special privilege to welcome Mr. Will Haygood. He's an award-winning author and reporter. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Well, I enjoyed your presentation. I, I, I don't often get to attend them before an interview, just the way everything works uh, in our production schedule, but I really enjoyed yours, and and uh, you presented at the Bench Bar Breakfast presentation. But before we get into that, I want to learn a little bit more about you. you know, tell us about your work, and tell us more about yourself. Uh, well, I grew up in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Went to Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, which is where I teach now in the Department of Film and Media and Journalism. Uh, In college, majored in city planning, minored in English literature, and then started a career in journalism. I worked on newspapers in West Virginia, in Pennsylvania, and then I went to the Boston Globe where I became a foreign correspondent. It was also at the Boston Globe where I started writing books and then uh, spent 12 years at the Washington Post. And so now it's mostly teaching and writing books. Well, that's a, that's a great jumping off point for uh, what, I'm, what I'm about to ask you. So you're an author. You've written many books. Uh, you know, you've written Tigerland, Showdown in Black and White, which is by, uh, about Sammy Davis Jr. Yep. And you've uh, written Sweet Thunder, and that was about a boxer. And, um, and what was the boxer's name? Sugar Ray Robinson. Sugar Ray. A little before my time, yep, but yep, uh, that's, yep. that's wonderful. And then you wrote, I think this is a, 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 a sort of an autobiography about your family, the Haywoods of Columbus. Yes. Yes. It was about growing up in this Midwestern city in the 1960s, how this sort of magical music-loving street, Mount Vernon Avenue, changed and morphed over time. So it really was a book about, you know, a city in the middle of the middle of America. The middle of the middle of America? Yep, yep. (laughs) And then you also wrote uh, King of the Cats, and that's the one I had the least amount of information on. What was King of the Cats about? Adam Clayton Powell was a architect of Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty legislation. That book came out in 1993, but I started doing research for it in the late 80s, which was when I made my first trip to Austin, Texas, to the LBJ Library, because I had to research the political relationship between Adam Clayton Powell and Lyndon Johnson. So that's what that book was about. Okay, and that that gets us to The Butler, A Witness to History, which is probably, arguably, the one that you're most well-known for. And so this eventually got turned into a movie by Oprah in 2013 called The Butler. And so I just, I found it interesting, you know, with all of this... All of these books, you had a wealth of knowledge you pulled upon, a lot of uh, biographies. You picked, uh, you picked the showdown to present today at the State Bar of Texas annual meeting. So what was, uh, what was the reasoning behind that? Walk me through it. Well, because showdown is about Thurgood Marshall and the Supreme Court nomination that changed America. In 1967, he became, uh, he became the first 
African-American nominated to the Supreme Court, and he was nominated by Texas's own Lyndon Johnson, who was the president at the time. So I really think that uh, still stands as the most intimate, close relationship between a white president and a black man up to that time down through history. I just couldn't find any other relationship that had been as meaningful and as close as those two men. Thurgood Marshall had met Lyndon Johnson back in the 1930s here in Texas. And, uh, you know, they became uh, friends through the years. And and they both had a, a big, epic love for the country for where the country needed to go, and how they each in their own way could help the country get there. And that explains a little bit of the affection you have for the the great state of Texas. Yep, yep. You know, and goodness, one looks at Lyndon Johnson, you know, and all of his um, genius uh, and his willpower was poured into passing uh, three astonishing laws in this country, the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Bill, the 1965 uh, Civil Rights Bill, and the 1968 Housing Bill. And so he was responsible for this nation really growing out of the dark ages, and he depended on the legal roadmap that Thurgood Marshall, as an NAACP lawyer, had laid down 30 years prior to those 1960s era bills. There was a special connection between your mother and Justice Marshall that you shared on stage, and I was wondering if you could reshare that with our audience as well. Yeah, my mother uh, was born and raised in that civil rights-soaked city of Selma, Alabama, and her parents, like so many black parents, bought her north on the train, and... uh, She became pregnant in 1954, and that was exactly the same year when Thurgood Marshall was fighting uh, to desegregate the uh, public schools in this country. And so nine months later, in September 1954, my mother has twin children. And one of the reasons I wrote this book, I spent five years on this book, because It was such a moment, it had to be such a moment for her when the 1954 Supreme Court Brown desegregation of the public schools ruling came out. She could now look over at her two newborns and she could say, there's a new day in America right now. And I'm one of those twins who was in the bassinet in 1954, me and my twin sister were born that year. And so that must have lifted my mother into heights that she never knew could be possible that her kids would be afforded the same opportunities to go to good public schools as white children. You know, it seemed uh, it seemed that there was a little bit of divine intervention that went into your authorship of this book. And you expressed a little bit of that on stage. You said you started digging into it and these unexpected revelations just came out of the woodwork. And then it was very clear that you needed to write about the topic. And so share with us a little bit of those anecdotes and uh, some of the, uh, I guess, the good fortunes that you found along the way. 
Yeah, you know, there are two things that stand out. One is that there was no Supreme Court they can see in 1967, and Lyndon Johnson had to convince in a very sly way his Texas friend, who was Associate Justice Tom Clark, Lyndon Johnson, had to convince him to step down from the court. And he did that because he told him he wanted to appoint Tom Clark's son, Ramsey Clark, as his attorney general, and he wouldn't do that with Tom Clark still on the bench uh, because it would just create news stories, you know, favoritism, etc. And so I was able to track down a member of Tom Clark's family who told me that story. It's just a wonderful story of how Lyndon Johnson used his smarts to create an opening on the Supreme Court to integrate the previously all-white Supreme Court. Uh, And the second thing which stands out to me is that in 2008, I tracked down Gene Allen, who had been a White House butler. That was a story that later got turned into a movie. Well, what is very amazing to me, even kind of magical, is that on the day that Thurgood Marshall was summoned to the White House to meet with the president. Uh, He was served cookies and tea by one of the White House butlers. The butler who served him those cookies and tea was none other than Eugene Allen. And so you had one man, Mr. Allen, who had been harmed and hurt that the law did not rise to give him full equal rights. And then you had another man, Thurgood Marshall, sitting down near him who had worked his whole life to bring those very rights to Mr. Allen. And that to me is, shows the mighty strength of the nation when it is, when it is at its best. So you said this was the book that uh, President, uh, the late President Lyndon Johnson never got a chance to write. And so you picked up the mantle and you were telling the story of the nomination process for uh, Justice Marshall. And initially there was definitely some pushback. And so, um, you know, obviously there was there were some people that were concerned back in those days. Uh, and uh, one of them was uh, Senator John McClellan. And so in response to that, there was a letter that was sent. And I found this to be just probably the best part of your, of your speech, that is, it's hard not to be drawn into it. But uh, a certain young woman wrote a letter to uh, Senator John McClellan, and this became an integral part of your book. So please tell us the story of, of how that all came to be. Yes, um, I wanted to go look at the archives of Senator John McClellan, and they were at a uh, at a small Baptist college in in Arkansas, and nobody had ever really looked in depth at his papers. They had just recently opened, just recently been made available to the public, and I'm looking through thousands and thousands of pages of letters, you know, in bills that he helped pass and hearings, but I'm out there to do my best to research the link between Senator McClellan and Thurgood Marshall's nomination. 
And always when somebody is nominated to the Supreme Court, there are letters from all around the country, pro and con. And I came across this letter from one of Senator John McClellan's area constituents, from one of his people who lived in his district. And they wrote him a letter that where the person said to the senator that he was going to be on the wrong side of history, that Marshall had wonderful qualifications, and that the senator, uh, who was a known segregationist, was not doing right in his effort to stop Marshall from making it onto the Supreme Court. And nobody knew about this letter. And when I came across this letter written by this lady named Barbara Ross, uh, I was stunned. I couldn't speak almost because it really showed me why the literary gods had chosen me to write this letter. In a way, that letter became the metaphor, you might say, of the book. Somebody who was disrespected, her letter wasn't taken seriously, and yet Will Hager, this writer who comes along all these years later, and out of millions and millions of pieces of paper, I find this letter. And so... Some more of that good fortune. Yeah, that was, yes, that was just good fortune. And, and I was able to, through a series of circumstances, to track Miss Ross down, Barbara Ross down, to tell her that I had found this letter that she never got a response to. And I told her my letter was going to be in her book. And she practically cried on the telephone. She, she's a retired school teacher. She was very young, only 19 years old when she wrote that letter which is why she wrote it, you know, and still had very vivid memories of the day she wrote the letter. Her father didn't want her to write the letter, but she wrote it, and uh, she never got a response, but now the letter is in a book, so that's, that's really beyond sweet. So uh, decades later, she, after writing this letter, never gets a response. It ends up in a book. She gets a phone call from you, but there's one other historic figure that read this letter. Yes, yeah, she had put at the end of her letter, she said, Senator McClellan, someday, someday there will be a Negro president. Sincerely yours, Barbara Ross. And that's the part of the letter when I was reading it at the library that stunned me. I mean, she had predicted that this nation would have an African-American president. And lo and behold, all these years later, We did. And so a federal judge in Chicago who knows the president was at one of my events and heard my letter and asked me to make a copy of it because he was going over to the White House. And I didn't think anything else of it or that I would ever hear from him again. And this judge out of Chicago called me a short while later and said, I want to tell you something. He said, there was a dinner at the White House two nights ago, and I was there. And I gave the president your Barbara Ross letter that you found in Arkansas. And there were about 17, 20 people around his dinner table. And first he read the letter in silence, and he was so touched by it that he asked for everybody's attention, and he read the letter aloud. And that has to be one of the most moving things that I, as a writer, 
have ever heard about my own work. Read by uh, read by President Obama. Read by President Obama. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. So I just when I thought it couldn't get any better, uh, you went and did. And this is my last question for you. I know you got to get going, but uh, at the very end of your presentation, you read out the yays and the nays. Yes. And so I mean, in addition to great theater, you yeah. know, very well, very well presented. I just uh, I was listening to that, you know, and you hear some of these historic figures you read about in history, and and uh, you know, some of the answers actually surprised me. Who yeah. voted which way? I, you know, and yeah. so what was the what was the thought behind that? That was in your book, yeah. And then you shared it on stage. But what was the thought process about including that in the book and also sharing it on stage? Yeah, I wanted to show uh, how in. Uh, a very hard time in this nation's history how Democrats and Republicans came together because it took members from both parties to get Thurgood Marshall onto the Supreme Court. And so it shows really who was on the right side of history. And that is the most, I think, telling moment in this book when I can visualize it uh, for people, just what the stakes were and who rose up and did the right thing because Thurgood Marshall changed the country, not only for blacks, not only for poor people, but for white people, for everybody. He changed the direction of the country. He, he saved the soul of the country. I mean, uh, and there is no doubt about this, uh, that we would be a very different nation were not for the interactions be between President Lyndon Johnson and Thurgood Marshall. Both of those men made each other much better men. Well, we've reached the end of our program. I know you got to go, but uh, uh, Mr. Haygood, I want to thank you so much for sharing a piece of our nation's history with us. It was wonderful to be here, and thank you very much. But I'd also be remiss in my duties if I didn't give a little shout-out for our listeners. If they want to follow up and learn more about some of the work that you do, your authorship, your book about uh, Third Girl Marshall, how can they find you? Uh, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. That's where I teach, and I have a whole webpage there. And then they can look at that webpage, and then, uh, there is information there uh, how to communicate with me. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast brought to you by LaPay. Thank you once again, LaPay. Also, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or best yet, your favorite podcasting app. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to texasbar.com slash podcasts, subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. <laughs>